Welcome to the ASSP Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast, your source for expert insights on industry consensus standards and ASSP technical publications. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Fall protection is continually ranked among the most cited OSHA standards, and falls are one of the leading causes of workplace fatalities. There are, however, steps safety professionals can take to improve the safety of workers at height. The ANSI ASSP Z359.1 standard provides guidance on exactly that. Z359.1, otherwise known as the Fall Protection Code, is a set of standards that covers program management, system design, training, qualification and testing, equipment, component, and system specifications for the processes used to protect workers at height in a managed fall protection program. Our guest today is a man who has spent his career working to improve the safety of workers at height and educate the safety community about fall protection. We're very glad to be joined by Tom Kramer. Tom is Managing Principal at LJB Incorporated, President of the International Society for Fall Protection, and the Chair of the Z359.1 Committee for the Fall Protection Code. Tom, thank you so much for coming on. Scott, thank you for inviting me to join you. I look forward to sharing ways that we can improve safety and reduce risk for for workers at height. Sounds great. Let's get started. now. As I mentioned at the top, there are many elements involved in keeping workers safe when working at height. So I thought we could take them one by one to paint a picture of what an effective fall protection program looks like and how the fall protection code can help safety professionals develop such a program. So let's start with the design requirements. The first section of the standard includes system requirements, component and element requirements, and subsystem requirements. I know there's a lot to unpack there, but in terms of the design of a fall protection system, what are the most important things for safety professionals and others to keep in mind? Scott, that's a great question to start us off because we, we often think about the visible aspects of a fall protection system, the, the personal protective equipment. And years ago, people would often ask, do our workers have their harness on and are they tied off? We, we've really moved beyond that in, mm-hmm. in many situations, and, and we now know that we need to ask other questions. First, should we even be using PPE? Mm-hmm. Uh, right, you know, right. while, while PPE, again, is a very visible aspect of the industry, the hierarchy of controls, which is fundamental for the safety professionals, Absolutely. tells mm-hmm. us that it's not the safest way to protect our employees. And in many cases, we'll be safer by using less PPE. Now, I don't mean that we're sending people out there unprotected. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that we're using more engineering controls. Sure, sure. So, so second, you need to take a look at the anchorage. So after you've uh, evaluated whether or not you should even use PPE. Second, take a look at the anchorage. Okay. That's the secure attachment point for the fall protection system. And while there's a growing segment of our market dedicated to leading edge equipment, many of the metrics used to evaluate the injury potential uh, of an active fall protection system are worse when we're using that foot level tie off. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, when you think about free fall, when you think about total fall distance, impact forces, compatibility issues, cutting potential of, of, of the material, rescue, potential for personal injury, all those are more negative mm-hmm. when our anchorage is low. Right. Uh, so elevating our anchorage is a fundamental that we must return to for, I think, our, our workers to be safer when they're out there in the field. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. One, one other thing I want to dr- finally address is, is that once you, you have those items addressed, uh, I think you can more easily address the procedures and training sure, requirements sure. of the system. Uh, because again, if you don't if you don't start well, you won't end well. Mm-hmm. And, and then these items together will, will create that complete personal fall protection system okay. that can truly protect the worker mm-hmm. out there in the field. Right. Okay. Working from that foundation, we move into the qualification testing section of the code, which includes testing of systems, subsystems, components, constituents, fall arrest or connecting subsystems, among others. Regular listeners may remember our episode on Z359.7, where sure. we talked in detail about fall protection equipment testing. But I wonder if we could speak a little to this 
as well and talk about the importance of testing to this process and how that fits in with the fall protection code. A absolutely, Scott. You know, testing of the product is crucial for establishing a baseline expectation of equipment performance. How, how can you compare one piece of equipment from one manufacturer to another right. piece of equipment <laughs> from another manufacturer? However, many of the mentors that I've had in this field continually remind me that while testing is important, it, it's, it's, it's more important that the use in the field is aligned with the testing regardless of, of, of what is provided in the standard. And it's a product that is principally manufactured to protect an employee, not to be tested. When, when you buy a lanyard, you just don't want to say, hey, it's been tested well. You want to make sure that it performs well. Absolutely. So, right, right. so if, if I can maybe say it a different way, the ANSI Z359 standards provide a minimum level of testing that you should expect from a manufacturer and how your employees are using it again, using the equipment in the field, mm -hmm. should spur you to ask questions and frankly request more testing from the manufacturer of your choice. Okay. So that might, that might sound kind of intuitive. Doesn't ANSI provide all the testing? Actually, they, they provide a minimum base level requirement mm -hmm. for, for what you then can then apply, see how it applies to your field. And so, so one example specifically, the, the vice chair of the Z359 committee, Dan Henn of, of Reliance Fall Protection, has shared with me and, and others in our Z359 committee meetings stories about how this additional testing truly informs his organization, mm -hmm. the, the equipment sure, manufacturer, absolutely. and but more importantly, their customers on how to better and more safely use the equipment out in the mm -hmm. field. So it's really the baseline with the Z359 and then make sure you're having the conversations with your equipment manufacturer as far as this is how I'm deploying it. Okay, okay. so so that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting point. So it really is, I mean, more than just about you know the the safety professional and the role they're playing once you have the piece of equipment that, sure. that the you know contractors whomever can establish that relationship earlier on mm -hmm. with a manufacturer to say okay these are the kind of projects I'm doing this is the makeup of my workforce what can you do for me so they could really tailor the equipment to your specific needs correct yeah. okay yeah, let okay. me let me give you an example so again it's it's a very hot button issue in our industry right now and, and uh, ASSP published a, a bulletin last year on this. So for Z359.14, where, where we have a test for a leading edge self-retracting mm -hmm. device, uh, that test is only over a steel edge. And okay. yet many people in the industry, whether they be users, distributors, and sometimes even manufacturers, imply that it's okay to, for, for you to take a fall on a concrete edge. The Z359 does not test okay. a concrete right. edge. Mm -hmm. And so when you take that device, whether it's the webbing constituent type or the wire rope constituent type for the line, uh, that has not been tested according to the Z359. So that's a situation sure. where sure. you have to have a personal conversation with your manufacturer mm -hmm. of choice to say, have you done that additional testing? Because if they haven't, then it's really up in the air as far as what that performance will be. The performance has been established for the steel edge and in most cases, it'll, it'll replicate what you see in, in some situations, mm -hmm. but really only for the steel erection. Okay. Once you get into concrete decking operations, once you get into steel deck, once you get into you know the, the, the dozens of other sure, circumstances sure. that contractors and, and manufacturing and others see out there in the field, it, it's, it's, it's really unknown. But think about this way, the, 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 the concrete is a much more abrasive surface. Mm -hmm. right. So that's where, uh, for different line constituent types, webbing versus wire mm -hmm. rope, it could be uh, very significantly detrimental right. to that to that material. So. That's an excellent point. Sure. Just just thinking about all the different work environments that you're going to encounter, and it's not a one size yeah. fits all approach Absolutely. to how you need to approach fall protection. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now you've got a piece of fall protection PPE, which, like any piece of PPE, has its own markings and instructions. And I thought we could talk a little bit about the 
general and specific marking and instruction requirements within the standard and how those help safety professionals, contractors, end users ensure that they have a good sound fall protection system. Scott, again, a good point. Uh, and we need to remember this isn't like the new tool that you've purchased mm -hmm. or the toy that you're building for your children <laughs> or a relative on Christmas Eve. Uh, you and more importantly, your employees need to read and understand the instructions and marking. Mm -hmm. Every every manufacturer states this in their instructions, typically on the first page at the top. Thou shalt read and understand these mm -hmm. instructions. So, so as we discuss relative to testing, you need to translate that to your work environment. This is obviously a very generic piece of equipment, uh, but but how does that apply to your work environment? Mm -hmm. Again, is it construction? Is it manufacturing? What type of construction is it? Is it vertical construction versus more horizontal or heavy civil type construction? Uh, do not let your workers improvise their systems. That's where that's we a very good point. yeah. That, that's <laughs> where we see that's where we see things start to go awry when we're out there in the field. Is that workers are improvising their system? They're simply provided with a harness and a lanyard and expected to go out there and be safe. <laughs> and it's it, you know this one thing that I often bring up in, in various training classes is is fall protection PPE is unlike other forms of PPE. You know you think about what else they use out there uh, out there in the field hard hats, mm -hmm. safety shoes, gloves, you know, you, you're wearing shoes, right? So if, if right. you weren't able to wear safety shoes, we'd have a different conversation sure. because, because it's, that's, that's intuitive. But fall protection equipment is not as intuitive because people really don't use as much of it in their personal life. Mm -hmm. We might only have one in 20 people in our, in our training classes that, that have truly used a harness and a lanyard in their personal life mm -hmm. or significantly across their life. And so, so that, that intuitiveness doesn't necessarily translate. So we need to keep that in mind. So, sure. so again, don't let them improvise it because there's a lot of intuition that needs to be, uh, that, that doesn't take into place. And so, in, and if you don't have documentation for the system, create it with your workers. Mm -hmm. Create it to, and specify the exact pieces of equipment they should be using uh, to, to minimize that improvised mm -hmm. uh, efforts. Moving into the latter section of the standard, we have some more very important topics when it comes to fall protection. This is where the document discusses equipment selection, training, inspection, maintenance, storage. So let's start with the equipment selection and then we can move into those other elements. As you're starting a project and determining which equipment will be best suited for the work that needs to be done, what does that process look like and how can safety professionals and others know that they're selecting the right PPE for the job? Sure. It, it, it really begins with starting with the worker in mind. Mm -hmm. Scott, I could design you the fanciest fall protection system, but if it's not designed with a worker in mind, it could be worthless. And I've seen organizations literally spend thousands of dollars, and in some cases, many times more, and not create a safer work environment, albeit that was before we started working with them. Uh, <laughs> but, but said in a positive way, the, the system more often needs to be designed around the worker's tasks rather than forcing the worker to change to meet the design and limitations of the system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that gets back to the fundamental uh, quality process that Edward Demings talked about, you know, decades mm -hmm. ago, you know, making sure that, that you talk and have conversations with the workers sure. and design with them in mind. So whether it's quality for, for a good product or safety for a safe work environment for the employee, they're, they're, they're hand in glove together. They have to be done together yeah, in order to make sure that we have mm -hmm. a quality product and a safe work environment. And, and another crucial part of that is having a qualified person with a proper training, experience, and expertise for the situation where your employees are, are exposed. And while in many cases this requires the service of a professional engineer, it's important to remember that not all professional engineers are qualified persons. Mm -hmm. and, and that is one reason why I obtained my CSP certification so I could truly demonstrate my competencies on the engineering side and the safety mm -hmm. aspects of the system design. 
And, and while many failures of the, the fault protection systems due to lack of engineering can be quite obvious, something breaks. Mm -hmm. uh, the failure to properly design this the fault protection system with a human performance and safety mindset mm -hmm. can be equally catastrophic. Sure. And we've seen a lot of case studies this mm -hmm. year. And that's one of the things that the Z359 committee is looking to do mm -hmm. is, is how can we publicize some of these case studies? You know, put, put a name and a face with a scenario so that mm -hmm. people can, can make these uh, situations um, tug at the heartstrings to realize that somebody misused the equipment or maybe they weren't set up to success by improvising the system mm -hmm. and, and they paid the heaviest toll. Correct. So how can we use that, make some good out mm -hmm. of it, the, the little good that can come out of it, how can we take that to make sure that that mistake doesn't happen again? Sure, sure. You, you mentioned about the qualified person. Sure. I think that's, that's a really important distinction. I know that's something that's come up in the Z359 meetings, ensuring that you have somebody that's truly qualified designing the system and really integrated into the process. I want you to talk, talk about that a little bit, the, the qualifications, I guess, if you will, of, of a qualified person. Sure, sure. So when you look at the qualified persons, I, I think the two categories uh, that I spoke to a minute ago uh, are, are, are the main areas you need to focus. What, what kind of competencies do they have from an engineering side and what competencies do they have from a, from a safety side? Mm -hmm. so, so from the engineering side, can they do the calculations to determine the strength? Can okay. they do the calculations to make sure that you know, the stress is on the material, how the attachment uh, to, the, to the structure is, is being provided, all that it can be done to meet the, you know, the code prescribed loads, as mm -hmm. we like to say it. But then you start to transition over to the safety side. And, and I would say, even this as a, as a professional engineer, I think the structural engineering aspects are quite easy. Mm -hmm. But when you start to get into the behavioral aspects of the rest of the system, when you're thinking about, again, is this even the safest way I should be protecting the worker? Sure. Should I not even be using personal mm -hmm. protective equipment? Right. That's the first question you ask before you get into any of the other topics. And then you look at the structural aspects. And then the, the qualified person really, they need to have expertise to look at what is the equipment that they should be specifying. Uh, I often talk to our engineers that when you're designing a system, if you haven't read the equipment manual for that piece of equipment you're specifying, then stop. Read the equipment manual because you have to put your uh, put yourself in the, in the shoes of the worker. Sure. Assuming the worker read it, you have to be able to read it too. Mm -hmm. They have then they have to be able to have qualities to create that procedure. Again, more of a a safety mindset, a communication mm -hmm. mindset than the engineering mindset to communicate that that items. And then finally, they need to have some understanding as far as how that equipment is going to be trained for the worker. So maybe the qualified person isn't doing the training. But the qualified person, just as importantly, needs to make sure that that training is done either by themselves mm -hmm. or by somebody else. Sure. Because without those aspects, if the qualified person isn't looking at all those aspects, can you really say it's a complete personal fault protection system? That's a very good point. I would say not. And so, mm -hmm. so if the, the qualified person isn't looking at all those aspects, and again, just one of them I mentioned mm -hmm. dealt with the strength calculation, everything else could be for naught. Right. Absolutely. Speaking of, of, of training, I know, as, as you mentioned, you, you could have the best PPE in the world, but if your end users, your workers don't know how to operate properly, you know, it may not do any good. So when you've selected your equipment, the time has come to train your workers on how to use it properly. What does the code have to say about best practices for training? And what in your experience have you found to be the best methods for training end users on how to properly use fall protection PPE and just working at height in general, going beyond PPE? Absolutely. So, so Scott, the, the, the Z359.2 standard provides great detail uh, for the training of all your workers in your fall protection program. Mm -hmm authorized persons, competent persons, 
uh, qualified persons, program mm -hmm. administrators, all those to, to name the primary roles. It gives specific topics to reference. So it just doesn't say these roles need to be trained, but mm -hmm. it really gives those specific topics that they need to get into. If you don't have that standard, you can either take the Managed Fall Protection Certificate Program that ASSP mm -hmm. provides, uh, or you can order the standard through, obviously, ASSP.org. Mm -hmm. uh, relative to the best methods for training the end users, we need to recognize that fall protection equipment industry is complex and getting more complex sure. every day. Sure. You know, we're at Safety 2019, and we walk out there to the, to the exhibit floor, and there is literally hundreds, if not mm -hmm. thousands of products right. just dealing with fall protection. Mm -hmm. And that's just what the manufacturers brought here. They, they probably have more beyond that. And, and so I could spend months talking about the details covering every piece of equipment, but that's not feasible for mm -hmm. the average worker. Right. We, we can't right. spend months talking about that equipment. <laughs> so, so I try to get the, the workers to remember three words, use, limitations, and restrictions. And if worker can pick up a piece of equipment and address those three words, they'll be much safer. Mm -hmm. And just as another side reference, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and their EM-385 mm -hmm. actually have a requirement that when a competent person is out there in the field uh, overseeing work at heights, they have at least 24 hours of, of, of training. And so that, okay. that, I think, provides a little bit, um, uh, it provides a snapshot that, that some organizations can look at and say, okay, this is this is something that I can then benchmark against, sure. see if I need to have more, or possibly maybe I'm, I have less responsibilities than they could possibly have left. But mm -hmm. I think that provides a nice benchmark that we can have organizations out there in the field compare okay. and, and, and use that as a sure. reference. Okay. So now that you've trained your people, I know the process doesn't end there. They have to inspect and maintain the equipment so that it continues to be in proper working order and will provide that level of protection that workers need. So as you continue to use a piece of equipment over time, how often should they be conducting those inspections? What should they be looking for to ensure that a piece of PPE continues to be safe when, when working at height? Sure. Scott, there's, there's three key inspections performed on fall protection equipment. Pre-use, formal, and instance. Uh, you should always inspect the equipment before you put it on to make sure that's fit for service. Uh, the formal inspections are performed by a competent person other than the user that, that have historically been completed every six to uh, six months to a year, uh, although many organizations are starting to transition to more of a monthly or quarterly to recognize some of the harsh environments where they operate and that authorized persons are not overlooking crucial items. And finally, while some of the parts of the fall protection system are discarded after an incident, the others must be recertified by a qualified person. As an alternative, mm -hmm. uh, some of the soft goods uh, can often be sent back to the manufacturer for residual strength testing. Okay. To, to answer that last part, as far as what they're looking for, there's a, there's a lot. It depends mm -hmm. upon you know, what kind sure. of environment they're in. Are they in a construction environment? Are they in a manufacturing environment? Construction environment, obviously there's gonna be well splatter. There's mm -hmm. going to be uh, possibly cementitious dust that can get into the webbing and, and cause some uh, cause some deterioration. There is uh, some aspects in a manufacturing environment where you can get oils and greases on the material. Mm -hmm. There you can get uh, chemicals. Sometimes people riding on the equipment with the wrong uh, material can cause damage to the uh, fibers by, by making the fibers brittle and causing mm -hmm. them to prematurely break. And, okay. and again, some of these some of these issues might be more uh, uh, you know short term type of a type of a, an issue where they're going to cause damage right away. Other items, it would, it would, they would tend to be more chronic where it'll take a longer time for them to take an impact. Okay. But, uh, but it's something that, you know, what we typically see out there in the field is, is at least a third of all the equipment that we're inspecting is getting removed from service. Wow. Everything from, huh. from, from people just not knowing that, that they got well splattered on their harness 
to people not not feeling that the pelvic straps are, are are properly fitted, and so they're they're trimming it off themselves, making alterations <laughs> to equipment, which they shouldn't do. Right. So a lot of things that we see out there in the field, uh, but you still uh, need to look at doing more inspections sure. for sure. Anything else you'd like to add about uh, the fall protection code Z359 and working at height as we as we wrap up? Scott, I can always add something else. So let me <laughs> let me just let me keep it to one item. So sure. so we have to remember that we've never had equipment with the robustness we have today, and there's never been more information and rigor about the design, testing, markings associated with equipment. However, we need to keep in mind that more people each year are falling to their death, as you indicated mm -hmm. in the yep. beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, I have uh, a simple thought exercise I'd like to, to leave you with at the Fall Protection Symposium at Safety 2010 in, in Baltimore. Uh, Mark Andre Pallone um, asked us this. He said, imagine every year on May 12th, precisely at 10.15 in the morning, all your workers simultaneously tested their fall protection systems. What would happen? Mm -hmm. Are we good? Are we lucky? Do we have a good day? Do we have a bad day? And if that scenario worries you, there there is good news, Scott. If that if that scenario worries you, you have the time to address that today. Absolutely. You have something to do about it. So so prioritize your gaps. Work with your leadership to identify the resources you need. As I mentioned, ASSP's Managed Fall Protection Certificate Program is a great resource for your professional development and you leave with a gap analysis of your organization's fall hazard program mm -hmm. that you can take to your leadership and say, this is how we need to invest in our fall hazard program over the next two, three, mm -hmm. five, ten years. So you really leave that not only with the, the, the CEUs, but you leave that with a deliverable that you can bring to your leadership of your organization. Okay, great. I think, I think that's, a, that's a great note to end on. So uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time, and I hope uh, our listeners uh, take a look at Z359, think about how they can help uh, their workers stay safe at height. So thank you again. Thanks, Scott. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the ASSB Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSB.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSB Safety. We'll see you next time.